You're listening to Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, where for an hour we all dress up as our favorite manga characters and just stare at each other in a dead, awful silence. My name is Mark Lintonmeyer, and I like to watch. I'm Erica Spires, and somebody once told me I looked like Kristen Bell. I'll take it. I'm binging Veronica Mars. Hi, this is Brian Hurt, and I am binge-watching the American version of The Office for the millionth time. And I look nothing like Dwight Schrute. I liked your other one, Brian. Say your other one that you emailed us, even though it's a lie. Hi, I'm Brian Hurt, and I am binge-watching The Purge movies. There you go. That's that's gold. <laughs> so if you didn't get the reference contained in my introduction, the I'd like to watch, that was to being there, the 1979 Peter Sellers film, which had the underlying message that TV is making us into a generation of idiots, and we revere idiots. We might even make an idiot president. Ah... Is it a comedy? It is a comedy, right? A dark comedy, yeah. Yeah, it's a very deadpan. The funniest scene is during the closing credits, but I won't. No spoilers on this show, huh? After we spoiled a couple things last time. Yeah, and by the way, don't say spoiler alert after you've spoiled something. Everybody. I know, I totally did. not pointing fingers at anyone. Oh, I did it. I think when you reveal any piece of information, you're spoiling the opportunity that someone has to gain that piece of information elsewhere. So you should say spoiler alert before everything you say. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Today's topic is binge watching. And as a prelude to that, I thought we should review these shocking statistics about how much TV people in the country watch. Are you ready? Yeah, I want to know where I fit in. I'm scared, but go for it. So according to the Wikipedia television consumption entry, the average U.S. consumer in 2017 spent about four hours daily watching TV. Okay. Does, Does that seem... Believable? Yeah. Wait, am I shocked that it's so high or so low? I'm always shocked at how high these numbers are because I feel, you know, I don't approve my own TV habits, but four hours, that would be a pretty exceptional day where I'm just like laid low. Like, I don't see how a regular person could fit in that much. I think it depends on what kind of job you have. Like the kind of job I have, it's really feast or famine, right? So when I am working, I barely have time for any TV, but when I'm not working, I have a lot of time. Sure. And people who have the TV, who keep it, it keeps them company, right? They're doing things around the house, and they're going to report 10 hours of TV that day. And were they really watching? Well, maybe, but who knows? Right. There's a lot of passive watching going on, I think. I wonder how they're figuring this statistic. So I think it's probably a pretty decent statistic, because I think some people definitely just leave it on as feeling like they have somebody there next to them. I'm not speaking from experience at all here. The same entry reported a Nielsen report the citations to articles from 2016 and 2014 saying U.S. adults watch five hours on average with older adults watching more, maybe up to 50 hours a week, younger people less, closer to 20 hours a week with a seasonal pattern that peaks in the winter months. So maybe it is the old folks that are tipping this, that once you retire, <laughs> you just park yourself in front of the TV and you're there till you die. Maybe? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is kind of companionship, right? And especially if they say during the winter months, It makes sense, of course, because if it's colder, you tend to stay inside more. But also there's that seasonal depression, so you're looking for a quick fix to make you feel better. I was also thinking about the marathon football watchers who, during the winter months, just camp out from kickoff on Saturday morning till the whistle at the end of the game at Monday evening. So the most recent stat I found was from a TechCrunch article, July 2018, saying for the first quarter of 2018, the average 
was nearly six hours of video on all types of devices, four and three quarter hours on TVs in particular. And that was part of 11 hours per day that Americans spend listening to, watching, reading, or otherwise interacting with media. So that's crazy. (laughs) That's a lot. It is a lot, but it's, you know, it's part of our world now, you know, especially of the younger generation. So much of the work is done around media. So much of the research is done around media. I mean, this entire pop culture podcast is basically, right, we research on the computer now. So I think some of it's a natural progression toward that, and some of it might be that we're getting a bit lazier, but maybe we're just lazing around doing different things. Yes, the 11 hours I probably buy with looking at my phone and reading the news and all that time added up, maybe. Multiple screens at once, and I'm watching Tom and Jerry right now while we're having this discussion. So What? <laughs> I don't know whether some of the stuff I do counts as binge-watching. There's definitely been instances of binge-watching over the holidays I watched four seasons of Poldark in very rapid succession. Like that counts as a binge, even though I wasn't necessarily for a lot of that sort of sitting in the same place. I was on the go. It was fitting it in in fits and starts in the middle of things. I don't know. Should we say a little about, everybody kind of knows what we're referring to. This is often talked about, but are there any sort of general guidelines or questions that folks have on, does this count as binging? Does this not? I was talking to my husband about this last night and he goes, you know, I don't really think I binge watch a lot. And I was like, Oh, come on. I'm sure you do. And he was thinking of binge watching as basically watching the whole of something in one setting or as close to one setting as possible. So I don't think I have the same definition for that. This is just what comes up when I Googled it real quick. The practice of watching multiple episodes of a television program in rapid succession, typically by means of DVDs or digital streaming. So yes, I would still say binging three to four episodes at a time, right? Three seems like a comfortable number for me. Just sitting down to watch two things doesn't seem like a binge. But I do think there is something to it being digital. Like sitting down and having it be a marathon on TV where you come and go and it just keeps playing whether you stop it or not. Or I've sat and watched three baseball games in the same day. That doesn't feel like the same phenomenon to me as the willful act of getting a streaming service going and playing something and either hitting play at the end of every episode or just letting the next episode start. That really feels like true binge watching. I would say you definitely know you're binge watching when Netflix asks you if you're still watching something. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm being judged when that happens. Yes, it's like, yes, damn it. Ease off, Netflix. It's your fault. I think I started binge watching more in the days of Netflix DVD sending service. Yes, or, me too. Or even before that, getting DVDs out of the library. Because if like you get a DVD with a series or six episodes of a series or something, you feel like, I need to see this before it goes back. Or in the case of Netflix sending the DVDs individually, I think maybe we had a, a two-DVD service. You could have one at a time. And so there would be one that was always in the mail. If you're acting at peak efficiency, <laughs> then you're watching one while the other one has already been mailed back so like you can kind of time, it'll take them one day to get it and one day to come back, you know, send the next one. And so I need to be done with this one in two days so I can have that in the mail in time. I don't know, there's some weird logic. What was your first binge? Do you remember? I remember getting through weeds very quickly in that way. I don't know if that was the first one. I remember it being a revelation. I think this was from the library of Babylon 5 of just like, I could just sit and watch this all day. I could blow off the work I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, these are like 24 episode seasons. And the fact that I would like get through a season in a week, that seemed crazy. 
Yeah, I remember binging DVD as well, checking it out from a video store. And it was like the entire season of Alias, and I had a 24-hour checkout. But even then, I can remember when a disc was done, and it was like one in the morning, and I totally would have gone to the next disc, but the mere fact of having to get off the couch to put the next disc in, I was like, oh, hell, I'm going to bed. So there really is something to even the minimal act of will to make the next episode happen. Being enough to make you stop watching, the digital streaming has really enabled binging in a different kind of way. For me, it was either lost the first season because I was trying to catch up. I didn't start it. I was one of those like, oh, it's really popular, so I'm not going to watch it kind of people. And when the second season started, you know, I'd heard so much. I was like, okay, fine, I'll give it a shot and binged right through the first season to catch up for the second. But the one I remember really sticking with me and not being able to turn it off was 24. Ah, yes. And I didn't even start from the first season. Somebody said, start with, I think it was season four. And I just couldn't stop because they really mastered the cliffhanger. Like if you were going to turn off 24, you might as well do it in the middle of the episode because that's the only chance you're going to have to turn it off and be able to do something else. By the end of the episode, you have to watch the next. (laughs) That's pretty good. And I think we can't have this discussion without at least mentioning the Battlestar Galactica episode of Portlandia. Oh my God, yes. And how true it is. (laughs) (laughs) We all felt better that at least we weren't them, right? (laughs) Yes. I remember when we started Battlestar Galactica, our good friend said, oh, I'm so jealous you're getting to watch it for the first time. I wish I could go back and watch it for the first time again. How about you, Mark? Did you watch Battlestar? I did, and I think that was one that I watched by myself. I then tried subsequently to get other people to watch it, to watch it with my wife. There's things to be said about the whole social dynamics of this. Like This definitely seems like a solitary occupation. Have you had situations where, you know, I would think with my kids would be the closest I've come, like with my son watching Game of Thrones, that there are some times where we'd watch multiple episodes of that. But for the most part, the presence of another human being introduces an element of shame and responsibility. But there's also enabling because it's just like dieting with someone can help you both lose weight. You can also convince each other to cheat. Oh, come on, we can go have some cake. Just recently, I rewatched all of Veep in preparation for the last season, and I watched it with my wife, and it was awesome, and it was like, well, it's even better, right, with these shorter half-hour-long shows, because, yeah, that's just one sliver at a time, and you can sure consume a lot of slivers that way. So we definitely pushed each other to keep watching that one. The only thing I remember watching start to finish in one setting was Russian Doll. Did you guys see that on Netflix? See, that is a great example of one that I started with my wife, And I'm sure we'll finish it at some point. And we enjoyed it. We saw maybe one episode on the first night and then a night or two later watched another episode. I think we got to episode three and we haven't gotten back to it. There were other shows that took priority. And so there are a number of shows like that that I started with her that I may never go back to. And it's like I'm forbidden to go back to. I can't watch more than the first season of Orange is the New Black because we watched that together. We watched maybe the first episode of the second season. If she said definitively, I will never watch this again, then maybe it would like enter as a possibility. But since that has not happened, and I don't care that much about that show, I have not made the jump to just solo binging it. I had the opposite experience with that one. I was home for the weekend by myself, and it was just like, I wasn't tired. 
and it got pretty late. And I was like, well, there are only like two episodes left. It's such a short series. And I just laid there and watched the entire thing by myself because I didn't think it was something my husband would love enough that I needed to wait for him. And I wasn't super invested. I think for me, there's a passivity to certain types of binge watching. If it's something like Game of Thrones, I do like that I have a bit of time to think about it and like listen to recap podcasts and consider things that I hadn't thought of during that episode. But for something like The Office, for example, it's great, but I can also kind of passively watch it. Or even do something else while you're watching it, right? An activity yes. that you can't really listen to an audiobook or do something that you have to focus on, but you also don't want to do it in silence either. So having that program you've seen a bunch of times, and when there's silence, well, I just imagine the face I know Jim is making, because I've seen that episode so many times. I don't actually need to look at the screen to experience it enough to keep going. Right. And it also helps when there are some episodes that aren't as good. Well, it doesn't really matter that much. You're just having it on in the background. So Brian, is binge watching good for us or bad for us? What did we find out? It's TV, so it must be good for us. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I meant the exact opposite. So I'll point to an article that we read called A Critical Theory of Binge Watching, which appeared in JSTOR Daily, written by Jake Petrie, P-I-T-R-E, in April of 2019. All of the dangers and concerns that people attribute to binge watching are the same exact things that they've been attributing to TV since people have been watching it. Essentially, since the time anyone's been pointing their nose at any kind of passive entertainment, I have a feeling there's been a concern that it's rotting our minds. I don't know if this article goes back farther than TV, but I have to imagine that people were concerned that as we were sitting around in parlors listening to the harpsichord, it was just turning our minds to mush because we weren't the ones playing the harpsichord. That may or may not be true. But there's certainly something to be said for passive entertainment. And I feel like this is just the current extreme that we've taken this to. I think you're right. That actually reminds me, I read this article about fiddling. And I believe they called it the devil's box. Because as the fiddle would play for these square dances and such, it would get faster and faster. And it was like the devil was inside it, making them dance and in provocative ways maybe and losing a part of themselves. I've seen Mark do that. It's awesome. (laughs) There was a concept of flow as well in this article. And it talks right about this cognitive state that binging puts us in. And that is definitely tied to the next show starting when the first ends. And the less that we have to do it, I think it actually may put our brains in a different kind of cognitive state. It doesn't talk about the different kinds of brain waves, but we definitely know that different activities, such as listening to music, we have different measurable brain scans of what's going on. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if streaming, especially binging in what this article refers to as low-intensity binging, where you're not really fully engaged, does put the brain in a different state. And to say that it's bad, I don't know that there's anything that definitely points to that. I wonder if it's just a matter of needing to find that balance, that any one thing could be too much. I think an argument for moderation makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, this whole distinction between passive versus active, I recall there were actually critiques about novel reading back in the day, like when the novel became a thing, when Dickens, that there was a similar panic of people are sitting around, they're not being active, And the fact that it's a solitary activity, that you're not 
out creating things in the world. You're not out doing things in the world. So apart from the specifics of the passivity of vegging out in front of the TV, I think there's always going to be, whether it's different health evaluations or at least different social status of these different activities, depending on whether they are so-called productive or not. One of the articles we've been looking at is from the Philly Voice by Brandon Baker. In Frequently Asked Questions, Why Do We Binge Watch? Sense of completion. How interesting that we feel a sense of completion when we're watching something, even if it's passive. Maybe that's a reason that I really enjoy binging, because there are so many things in our lives that we can't complete and we can't control, but we can control that. We can control starting a series and ending a series, as sad as that can seem. Also, cultural inclusion. We want to know that we have our tribe and we watch similar things that other people do and that we can have a conversation about that. For me personally, that's actually a big draw because as an actor, we tend to hang out with other actors because our schedules are weird. So you tend to be with people who have the same odd schedule that you do. And then you end up talking about work, which is really boring, but... When we can talk about something that we can binge in our free time, it is able to open up that conversation, not just to us, but to our loved ones who happen to be sitting there and just listening to us talk about work all the time. Now we can all take part in something, much like people do with sports. You know, sports, food, politics you're not supposed to talk about, but you know, those are the kind of things that you can talk about in mixed company. But is the fact that you have to watch it on a streaming platform and maybe binge it to get to the end because you know other people have gotten to the end, does that give you a harder time finding a common platform where you've all seen something? And it only takes one person in the group to say, oh, no, 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 don't talk about that. But I haven't seen it yet, or I haven't gotten to the end of it. I feel like it's harder than ever to talk about things because only takes one person who hasn't seen it. Back in the good old days, either you saw it or you didn't. And I really liked the fact that everyone kind of understood, yeah, you're going to watch Game of Thrones or you're going to be left out of the conversation or the second Avengers movie. We have a few appointment viewings still, but beyond that, oh no, now I have to wait 10 years for Mark to watch Orange is the New Black so we can talk about it. (laughs) This may be surprising given the theme of our show and that I'm participating in a talk show about this, but I find that a lot of shows... I don't feel the need to talk about them. Like, in fact, I've seen it in the same room with someone in my family. And it's not like we use that as a bonding experience to talk afterward about, oh, what did you think when that happened? What did you think with that? Like, no, it's just we silently move on to other activities of the day and never speak of our secret shame of having watched the show together. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally use it as a bonding experience, not just with my friends, but my husband and I do it a lot. I think it was Chernobyl was the last thing we were watching together. And after each episode, we'd talk about, you know, what we remembered from when it actually happened and what we were surprised about. And then it made us think about politics then and now. But I don't know, maybe it's just because we went through a liberal arts school. I think that's why I like doing this podcast. It's like, let's ask questions about why we do what we do rather than ever finding a true answer to anything. That's good. We always have another episode we can do then. Absolutely. I mean, I do make my kids write an essay every time we see something together, and I do not do that. Edit it down. (laughs) I know. Give me another draft. (laughs) I know somebody, as he was growing up, he really hated academics in high school because his dad would make him, like, write a report on the Roman Empire and, like, 
these things of parents trying to make their kids approach things in a more educated way that at least temporarily backfire tremendously. Well, I mean, it could be useful. Are there similar issues around that? Of course, I'm saying this as the only one of us with kids here (laughs) of binge watching. I've found my kids have a better attitude toward television than I do. For my son, it's like there's conflict with being on a computer (laughs) that he could be watching videos on YouTube or doing Minecraft or something like that. And so do you want to watch a thing with me? Eh, I don't know. So it's like harder to binge. It seems like because maybe we were deprived or we had this different, you know, if you watch TV, at least when Brian and I were kids in the 80s, really before there were DVRs anywhere, that's where that idiot box reputation came from because there wasn't the choice. You were sitting through commercials. Like you had to be a truly passive individual. Do we feel like the advent of streaming, it's less passive, it's less harmful, it's less stultifying than whatever we hated about Mike TV as shown in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movies? Yeah, there are definitely better programs out now. I mean, arguably, not that there weren't good shows then too, but they were fewer and further between. Now we can pick really good programs to watch without the advertising. Back in the day, we had to work for it in a way that I think required more of a commitment. There was good programming, but you had to see it when it was on, and there was no other choice. It was a rare resource that you had to work for. I remember watching Doctor Who when I was a teenager in the Chicago area, and it was on like at 11.30 at night on Saturday. And I was pretty young, and I had Sunday school in the morning. And it was like a real thing I had to do. We got to the point where my mother finally said, okay, you can watch this as long as you don't complain about going to Sunday school in the morning. And it actually worked for both of us. And I would just drag myself in dead tired, but I really felt like I got something more out of it because I had to make some kind of sacrifice, even if that sacrifice was sleep. Your son knows full well, Mark, that if he doesn't watch it with you, he can watch it at any other time of his choosing. It's not like, oh, it's on now. And if I don't watch it with dad, that's a moment I'm not going to get back. I mean, he won't get back spending time with you, but, you know, Aww. whatever. Ah, this son moment. Won't you sit with me on the couch and watch another episode, son? <laughs> Can we afford a Cat Stevens song here? I don't know what our budget is. We cherish. <laughs> For my family, Saturdays were cleaning days. We could each choose one program that we could watch on a Saturday morning. It could be the same as the other kid. I have two older brothers, so... We had to choose which we wanted to watch, and then we had to do our chores. And I remember my eldest brother picked The Price is Right, and we were so frustrated after my brother Michael and I had picked because The Price is Right was on for an hour, and we clearly didn't do our job (laughs) by picking the hour-long program rather than our 30-minute television shows. So you should have picked Wall Street Week, which is two and a half hours long on a Sunday. But Can you imagine? <laughs> I picked Gandhi. <laughs> he picked like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and I don't know what I picked. Probably Saved by the Bell or something. So if you pick Doctor Who, does that mean one half hour episode, or does that mean one two hour block that is one story? It's inherently ambiguous. I think it depends how you argue it. How smart of a kid are you? You were probably that smart of a kid, Mark. You were probably arguing for the longer program. We didn't have a lot of restrictions on TV. I Certainly, I remember definite periods when you're out of school for the summer or just getting home from school. 
and just sitting down and like kind of mapping out what's going to be on. First, I'm going to see I Dream of Genie, and then Bewitched is going to be on, and then Scooby-Doo is on this other channel. And just taking in so many really horrific things into my soul through this process. <laughs> so I got to say that having the ability to be free from the schedule may, at least in kids, result in less overall TV. And certainly it makes it easier to regiment. It's probably easier from a parent's point of view either way. You just say, like you were saying, Erica, pick a show, which there's at least logistical issues, right? If you say pick a show and then you each, you all pick something that's on the same time, (laughs) what happens then? Well, we could watch it together, but yeah, I don't know why we didn't. I, I think we just all had different tastes, but I think that was fine. There were no conflicts. Like you had multiple TVs around the house or something so that you could. No, we only have one TV. I think your dad was playing mind games. He was trying to, (laughs) he was like recording you and pitting you against each other. I think this was the time though when we only had five channels growing up, you know? So it's like there wasn't a lot on. You were either watching like early morning, Saturday morning cartoons or you're watching the later in the day kind of stuff. So that wasn't a problem. And then when we got cable, just forget it. Like I feel like once we got cable and a big screen TV, all of the TV rules just went out the window. We watched it all the time. But at that point, my mom, she decided with her summer school bonus money, she was going to buy a TV, even though we needed a washer and dryer. So we would continue to go to the laundromat (laughs) as a family of five. But it was actually a great decision because it was this huge, you know, one of those very heavy, big screen TVs that took up a whole wall, basically. And all the kids came over. All of our friends did. And so mom and dad got to spend more time with us because it was the place to be. We had surround sound and a cool TV. I've never been a TV apologist. For me, it was part of the fabric of how I grew up. And we got our stories that way. We watched old movies and we watched new things. You know, so mom and dad had a little bit to say as to like what they deemed was appropriate and inappropriate. But for the most part, I feel like they gave us a good cultural education via the television. You know those horrible people who brag about not watching TV? Yeah. Can we assume they're not our listeners? I hope so. <laughs> Holy <laughs> them dumb motherfuckers. I swear to God. And then their kids don't know anything about anything when they show up to the first day of school or whatever. I don't watch TV. They're just... Okay. They're damaged for life. There was always someone who had never seen the Brady Bunch and it's like, who are you? What are you to me? You're nothing. Oh, <laughs> I recall one of my professors kind of took an active interest in, in his students at my first year of college and, you know, would have individual meetings with, with students to talk about your intellectual journey. I was complaining about my relationship with my parents and said, what's wrong with my mom? She's too much of a Mrs. Brady. The fact that I had to then explain that to this guy, because just the way I set it up, he's somebody who's taking an active interest in furthering his students' intellectual development, probably doesn't watch TV. And sure enough... <laughs> He had no idea what I was talking about, so I, you just don't understand me, man. (laughs) (laughs) Just to go back to the article and just to give the people what they want, the other reasons that we binge. It's an immersive experience. There's a sense of completion, cultural inclusion, convenience. That's specifically talking about binging today with streaming services. Catching up, like for a new season. And then there's relaxation and nostalgia. Why do you think you binge watch, Brian? I think I'm going to have to point to another article which suggested to me why I might binge watch. 
This is from an article in the Tempest website by Kendi Banks. These are the real causes and effects of binge watching, says science. The author writes about some different reasons behind why we binge watch, but one of the things that's pointed out is something called the Ziegnerick effect. I'm sure I'm saying that maybe not entirely right. Is that something either of you had heard of? I didn't know it when I read it. I was like, actually, I have heard of this. I didn't know that was what it was called, though. There is this thing called the Ziegnerick effect. The article talks about how we have a difficult time stopping something when we feel we're in the middle of it. And certainly, if we are binging something, and by definition, for a long series, they're, most of the time, we're not at the end. I mean, maybe when we get to the very end, we are, but most of the time, we're in the middle of things. Even if we're at the end of a season, we know the next season is there. I find it totally convincing, this idea that needing to reach some level of completion is in our brains. It is a little different in another definition I found. It's described as a psychological phenomenon describing a tendency to remember interrupted or incomplete tasks more easily than completed ones. And that's actually something else that I think happens a lot of the time when I'm streaming is I do give in to tiredness or other responsibilities, and I often don't finish episodes. I will stop in the middle in a way I would never stop in the middle back when I was watching X-Files when it was on on Sunday nights. So because I'm right in the middle of something, that brings me back into watching. I think more often than not, when I go back to my streaming, the middle of my binge that I stopped, I'm in the middle of an episode. Often when I'm streaming something, I'll just have enough energy to watch the cold open of a show. And once the credits start, I'm like, okay, it's two in the morning and I'm going to bed. So I think there is some kind of psychological phenomenon in play that is making me continue to come back to this well to keep getting that completion. Maybe there's some kind of chemical hit in the brain as well that's associated with that. I would think there's two kinds of completion that it's the, I feel so accomplished because I finished the series, now I'm done, or just wanting to know what happens in the story. Obviously, the way that the show was designed, I think I tried to binge Buffy at some point, and I might have binged a certain amount of it. I never actually got beyond season two, despite everything, you know, people telling me that I really need to experience this core show. And it's not that I thought it was awful, it's just it was clearly written to be watched on a week-by-week basis. Even if it had something to like entice you to come back next week and it had some sort of plot that would carry over the whole series, it just wasn't compelling enough and that wasn't enough the focus to really make me feel like I just gotta keep going on this. Well, I think you've hit on a really key point there, Mark, because there are certainly shows that were written with the episode arc and the season arc. And Buffy was one of those. And there was a very clear episode arc. You felt like you could just sit down and watch one, sometimes even out of order, and you'd be doing okay. And maybe you'd miss what was happening in the season arc. There are clearly shows that were written for streaming now, for binging, that everything drops at once. It's almost by chance when one episode ends and the next begins, right? They've gotten to their end of their 60 minutes and maybe something exciting has happened. And there's really no way you can pick up one of those shows in a way that will make any kind of sense to you if you didn't watch all of them in a row. And those really beg to be binged in a way that binging Buffy is intolerable. In fact, when Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt came out, that was intended to be on a network and be a weekly show. And then it ended up going to Netflix and they all 
dropped it once and people were kind of saying how weird it was. They felt like they were watching a network show and sure enough they were. And that's exactly how it was done. And it's just what happened. And then future seasons were done differently. And so there was less of a catch up mechanism at the beginning of each episode that there needs to be on a weekly show. So how shows are made are very much influenced, I think, by the fact that they may be binged, especially for those that are released on Netflix and Amazon, where entire seasons drop all at one time. I got through the Netflix series Sex Education really fast. I feel like that was a great binge. But then again, I got through The Office fast. I didn't watch that until this past fall I started it. I got through it so fast, and that's not a show either that's made for binging, and yet it's the perfect binge show. Maybe partially because it's a bit passive, but it, you know, there's not usually like something that happens at the end of the episode that makes you watch the next one. It just kind of happens, and you're like, ah, okay, I'll keep watching. Whereas then you have shows like, my favorite old show was Law & Order SVU. I remember sitting and watching that for hours when they were doing marathon weekends. And that's definitely an episode-by-episode arc, but they brilliantly do the thing at the top of each episode that if, like, it's like as soon as you hear, don't, don't, you're like, oh, I'm in for another. I Now I have to watch it because they start with the murder and then you have to figure out what happens. So if you're lucky or unlucky enough to watch the beginning of it, you have to watch the end and it becomes this great binge, despite the fact that it's just a single episode arc for the most part. I kind of want to try and just see with some of these old shows. You know, I watched a lot of ER when it originally aired. So much of it seems continuous that it seems like maybe it's a bingeable show, but I have a feeling I would just be exhausted. This is at least how I pictured the Law & Order stuff. I've never actually immersed myself in those. But, you know, if every episode has three different sick people and some sort of crisis and one of them probably dies and a lot of running around, then I just don't know if I want to experience more than one of those at a time. Like they certainly were not designed. They were designed to be emotionally tax you at that moment. I would think like multiple ones in a row would just be like, you would just start to glaze over very quickly. That actually Mark makes me wonder about Chernobyl. So Erica, I've heard that that's not a good show to binge because it is so emotionally draining. Did you and your husband watch them all in one shot? No, no, we did not. The first week we watched two in a row. And that was good because even though it was hard, you were getting a lot of information at once. Once you kind of understood what was happening, I would say it was definitely a great show to only have one per week. It was tough. There was a lot to digest, but it was the images you were seeing were really harrowing sometimes. And by the end, you just needed a break. So the office is really the opposite of Chernobyl, right? There's just nothing taxing about that show. And I think it also gets to the fact that, yeah, some of these things may have some kind of psychological impact that makes them easier or harder to binge or whatever, but some things are just better than others. I think The Office is just a really well-written, well-executed show. And maybe there are some things that don't make it ideal for binging, but it doesn't matter because... I just happen to love it, and I'm going to just keep watching it. And other shows are like that, and other shows are just not that good. Maybe they're designed to be binged, but... There's some hate out there for The Office, too. It's so funny. Like When I started watching it, I like put some posts out about 
watching The Office. And I didn't say that it was my third or fourth time binging it. It was my first time. I just didn't say. I was just like, oh, you know, I've really enjoyed binging this. And somebody like sent me an article on Facebook about what you should watch instead of rewatching The Office again. And like, I was like, hey, 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 first of all, my first time, not that you need to know that. But second of all, like, watch what makes you happy, right? Like, if that puts somebody in a good headspace, then watch The Office again. Don't yuck my yum. <laughs> what? You've never heard that? Don't yuck my yum. I'm allowed to like it, even if you don't. So you don't sympathize with the idea that there's so much creative stuff out there and people's attention is all around this one thing that I think is comparatively overrated, certainly not such that people should be watching it multiple times because there are all these brilliant creators that their work is going unheralded. And, and so that is at least where I would imagine that kind of objection is coming from. Yeah. People are weird and they're not consistent because sometimes people get really bent out of shape when they feel like they own a fandom and when other people catch on to it, they feel like, well, I was watching this first and it's my thing and now everyone likes it. Okay, I guess I get that. But then at the same time, you realize that by other people watching it now, you're going to get more of this kind of stuff. Or maybe you're going to get more seasons of what you're watching. So if you were early to the party on Game of Thrones, maybe that's not a good example because a lot of people watched it. But yeah, we're going to get more of that kind of stuff because people are watching it. So you should really be glad. And other people enjoying something doesn't make you enjoy it less. Or maybe it does, but... But it shouldn't. I don't think it should. I mean, I remember when the Big Bang Theory was just a cult show that only the really, you know, select people appreciate, and then it just sold out. It just no, that was that was from the start. What it what it was. <laughs> I distinctly remember my husband and I years ago when we were just dating. We went to see Tom Waits. We got to see him at Memphis. The funny part was we got there and there happened to be this big line where they hadn't let people in yet. And as people were arriving, you could see all these dudes like dressed like their best Tom Waits impression, kind of like walking in like too cool for school. And they all seemed really surprised that there was a line of other people who were Tom Waits fans. And my husband just looked at me and he's like, yeah, he's famous. He may not be as famous as some of the big bands, but like, it's hilarious to watch people think that their fandom is really their own. It's kind of a beautiful thing that we can make it that intimate and that we feel that close to an artist or a TV show or whatever. But ultimately, yes, we should be happy that other people have caught on because hopefully that means more albums and more seasons or, if nothing else, more things that those producers will create that are similar in feel. You know, one thing we haven't addressed here, I think even the example you just gave is tangentially related to the idea of watching as a social connector but what about sort of guilty pleasures, or maybe you can't even explain why you just binge something? Okay, we're going to go down that road, huh? Yes, for a little bit toward the end here. Extend the cone of shame over yourself <laughs> and admit to the thing that you've seen an entire season of, maybe too many episodes at once. You go first, Mark. So I recall, like when Netflix had its first original content, it was sort of consistently good. Orange is the New Black, I can't remember what else, but it was like, all right, this is unlike most of what's out there. I can be pretty confident that this is going to be reasonably good. And so I think I watched the first four minutes of Pretty Little Liars with my wife. And like the dialogue was so instantly terrible that I was just like, this show is bad, 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 bad. But nonetheless, 
there was something so that I later on my own returned to it and watched multiple seasons, even though at a certain point then I was just like, what? I'm never watching another second of this. Like I definitely woke up at some point, but it was constructed in that made to binge way of having the mysteries and having a dark tone, even though it was something that I'm definitely not the target audience for. Yeah, I persisted in calling that show Dirty Little Liars (laughs) for like a year before I was corrected. (laughs) Dirty Little Liars. I'll cop to watching Riverdale, and that show is not good. But I don't know. I read the Archie comics when I was a kid, and it's not even close enough to being like them that I should enjoy them. But I have. I don't know. That show is not good. I guess for me, I wasn't really embarrassed about it at the time, but it started to not get very good. It was Arrow. I was really into Arrow, like green, like the Green Arrow. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw the first few. There was a lot of stuff in it, like where the acting wasn't very good, but man, Stephen Amell was just so good looking and <laughs> he had this darkness about him. And, you know, I really wanted him and Felicity to get together. And then after about, I think it was during season three where I was like, okay, at this point, I kind of feel like I've seen these stories enough. I don't know really where they're going with this. I don't want to hate on the arrow because I said, you know, I had a lot of good hours with it. I think it's still on. And I'm kind of wondering, like, what are they still doing? Maybe you'll return for a week-long binge and get caught up. We'll see. Like it's out of, <laughs> out of nostalgia. Mostly what I got really caught with binging is just all the crime shows. And I find that I have a lot of friends, especially female friends, who are into that. I don't know what that phenomenon is. That would be interesting to look into. But I know a ton of women who love watching crime shows, especially British crime dramas. They are more violent, is my understanding, because they are not a gun culture. They end up having more grisly type of non-gun murders. I noticed that from watching Luther. Oh, I love Luther. Horrifying, because it was all heads getting torn off. I know we're podcasting and not on video, but I just got back from a workout class, and I don't know if you guys can read this. My ideal (laughs) weight is Idris Elba on top of me. (laughs) That is my workout shirt. (laughs) We're going to have a link to buy that shirt. (laughs) Not the one you're wearing, dude. Yeah, so we haven't addressed also that the binge culture has made British shows much more palatable. Like, I didn't even mention binging season two of Fleabag because it was barely a binge. Like, it's just like watching a movie, that I, watching that whole season because it's like six half-hour episodes and that's it. Oh, don't talk about it. I just, it's on my list. Oh, I gave it away that it's six half-hour episodes and that's it. <laughs> no, I don't you know where you're going next. <laughs> it seemed like it was lame before that British TV shows were so short. And now it's just like... I appreciate that. I did it with Babylon 5 of going through 24 episode shows, but the show 24, I did have with my wife, we watched all of season one and we're pretty gripped. And then I think I watched the first episode of season two by myself and like, no, this is too much for me to get into. Maybe I'll try again at some point, but I feel like the whole American model of TV, given that we have these binging habits and kind of would rather just get through a show rather than have it like an ongoing part of your life means that those 24-episode beefy seasons are less attractive. So you want to see the British version of 24, (laughs) which is three? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) God. I want them to show the 24, but I want to show it in super fast motion. I had a show I was binging recently that was actually stressful. Okay, I found myself on unemployment, 
and I started watching Jane the Virgin. Jane the Virgin has very long seasons. And I can't remember if they're, I think they might be on season six now. And I didn't want spoilers on my Instagram because I started following a bunch of the people on Jane the Virgin. So I decided to just binge all of the seasons so I could be caught up for this season. It kind of stressed me out. And now I'm all caught up and a weird thing has happened. Now that I'm watching it week to week, I'm not as into it. I still like it. I'm not like as gripped by it as I once was. Well, that actually was what I was wanting to ask both of you, which is now that we can and do binge, what is it like to be in a position to be watching a show that we can't binge? And so you just had that experience, Erica, with Jane the Virgin. I had it with Game of Thrones this season. Maybe that's not a good example. That's a show I've been watching weekly when it's been on. Battlestar Galactica was more of an example for that for me. I think I binged the first four seasons and then I was caught up and I was having to watch an episode at a time. I pulled up an article from The Onion. This is back in 2009, but the headline was Obama depressed, distant since Battlestar Galactica series finale. And it talks about him binging several seasons and then having to watch and then having to wait. And of course, it's one of this classic pose of him just with his hands on his face. Looking unhappy. Just <laughs> we do hard hitting news here on our podcast. They were way ahead on that one. So that was good. <laughs> so you had a similar experience with that, Erica. Yeah, it was weird. And it, I was telling some people about like how excited I was. And then as I started watching it episode by episode, at first I was really excited because I felt like so with it and I was watching it as it was happening. And then having to wait, I realized I would kind of forget about it. And maybe it's just the nature of the show. It's a comedy. It's a little more lighthearted. So it doesn't like grip you in the same way. There's not as many, like when you watch Game of Thrones, I like actually having a week in between because I like considering theories. I know some people aren't into the fan theory stuff, but I like, I can go down a rabbit hole with that with Game of Thrones. So I guess with Jane the Virgin, it was just like, oh, you know, it's a nice romantic comedy. Let's see what happens next week. And I guess I'll wait another week. It was just a better binger for me. So that is not one that you would have seen with your husband and discussed afterwards. I do tell him some of this stuff, but no, no, he's not really into that one. I was just looking at the Wikipedia page for binging, and it discussed, say, a research conducted at the University of Texas at Austin found binge-watching television is correlated with depression, loneliness, self-regulation deficiency, and obesity. Even though some people argue that binge-watching is a harmless addiction, findings from our study suggest that binge-watching should no longer be viewed this way, the authors conclude. The depression is real, I think. But it's not causal. I think you would binge because you're depressed, not that like binging causes you to become depressed. It's definitely a cycle. I have depression to start with, right? So uh, sometimes you just don't want to be around anybody, so you'll watch TV. That's great until it's not, because sometimes the one thing that you need is just to be around people. And it's easier to not be around people when you feel like you have a task to finish, which is finishing the TV show. And I just think there are a whole bunch of activities you could replace the beginning of that sentence with. And no one would have any idea that you had altered anything. So spending too much time on social media, gambling, watching sports, a lot of things make us fat and depressed. Or a lot of things are associated with being fat and depressed, but I don't really know that they cause them necessarily either. Probably, I I can't say that it's helped me more than it's hurt me, but I feel like it's helped me more than it's hurt me. I have had a lot of time by myself in the last several years because of the nature of my job. So, you know, I'll be traveling and working with people, and then at night I'm just 
in an apartment that is not mine by myself. And there has been something great about, yes, feeling the connection. Like when I was watching The Office, it definitely helped me because I was going through a hard process at work. And also I was lonely. So it helped me to feel like I was around this group of people who really supported each other. It actually made me happier, I found. And also my husband and I have used watching TV shows together in that way as a bonding experience when we're apart. We both get on our computers, we watch something, and we also have a phone call going on at the same time. So we can make little comments to each other while we're watching. It's a nice way to take off the pressure of spending time together when you're apart for a long time and you're on the phone and you're, you're having those conversations of, oh, what are you doing? And then you kind of get tired of you know, having the same conversation about your day at work. But if you're both watching the same thing, it's like you're having a shared experience together. Yeah, there was a line in the Tempest article that we read where it warns that one of the possible negatives is you might grow emotionally dependent on fictional worlds. And I'm not so sure that's a negative necessarily. You know, emotional dependence or emotional connection, maybe dependence is the wrong thing, can be a good thing. And you do feel like you know these characters. It's the reason people mourn when celebrities die. They don't know the celebrities, but they know the characters the celebrities play and they feel connected to them. Maybe they're not the best emotional connections, but something I think is better than nothing. And when you need something, maybe that's the right time for it. This is making me wonder, this is going to a totally different place, but do we think that like this has always happened, but it used to be more maybe with religion? People would think about like and get more emotionally connected to a god or gods. And now we've kind of replaced that with this. And that's all the time we have. Folks. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know, totally. Definitely preachers are going to say that to you. <laughs> because if you don't put God in your heart, you're going to fill it with sin. You're going to fill it with various other things. You're going to fill it false idols. With false idols. And TV is definitely one of the things that can jump in there. Well, if there's the opiate of the masses being religion, well, this is just a, a faster acting, higher chemical opium out there, right? And maybe it's, it is similar that a show that you really like sucks you in and gives you a sense of peace for that period of time when you're watching it. And when a show, you know, the writing goes downhill or something, then it's almost like, I bought this hit of the drug and it's not potent enough. There must be something bad mixed into it because God damn this, this particular Twilight Zone or whatever isn't doing it for me. Well, I'll just close by saying we had a blackout here where I live a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago. And I was just at a loss. It was, God was dead. My TV machine stopped working. <laughs> my phone gave me nothing. My tablet gave me nothing. I suppose there were books on the shelves, but it was dark. So I just cried and went to bed. I just picked up a book recently, and I might get some flack for it because it's a, it's a kid's book. I'm starting to read His Dark Materials because I never read that as a kid. But the reason I'm reading it is because HBO is coming out with a new series. <laughs> Yep, I knew exactly why you were reading it. (laughs) (laughs) That will be a topic for another time. I suppose you can look at it the other way, too. It's going to get you to to read more if you're interested in the thing that you want to binge later. All right, so final conclusions. Binging is the best thing ever. Binging is the worst thing ever. Those are your only choices. Brian. Binging is the best thing ever until the next thing. Mm. (laughs) The next opium that's going to be better than what we have. Erica, what's your, what is your decision? It seems like you've given a nice nuanced answer, but I want to <laughs> slice through it. Tell us the. 
Well, I'm going to have to go with it's the best thing ever because it makes me really happy. If you want me to add anything on to that, I will say I think we're a little older than this new generation that's coming up the things they're binging. It's going to be more like Instagram TV and YouTube and very short videos. So I'm not so into that. I don't really like the short form videos. I've watched some of those and they just don't grab me. So I guess I'm still a bit old fashioned in wanting my one hour TV shows to binge. We didn't even talk about binging MTV when it just started and just showed video after video after video. And Oh, wait, I did. I loved that. I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Pop-up video, too. So what's your answer, Mark? I think overall, it's not a good thing. But again, I think it is not necessarily the cause of bad things. It is just in me associated... (laughs) with particularly bad spells that I've been through. That watching TV in moderation, I'm not going to be a snooty anti-TV person, but doing anything in moderation is going to be better for your overall health and well-being. And so it just entirely depends on how you're doing it. Like I don't associate binging with having something on while I am working out and doing other things that are productive yet don't require my full attention. Like I have been shows like that have it semi-background or I don't have to actually look up at it. And I regard that as a fundamentally different experience than I'm going to watch four seasons of Shameless sitting here on the couch without moving. So there you go. Well, thank you, folks. Folks should go to prettymuchpop.com and uh, check out what other episodes we might have posted, what other cool things are there. I think we hit on a couple of things we're going to talk about in a future podcast that we've talked about. So that includes young adult literature is one thing on our list. I think fan theories might be something on our list that we're going to talk about. Spoilers. What else did? Spoilers Spoilers was another one. There was something else too. What was it? Marmaduke. All that talk about Marmaduke. We're definitely going to have a whole episode on. Yes. Marmaduke. (laughs) I just totally binged Marmaduke. All right, we'll save that for the supporter-only audio that folks can listen to at uh, patreon.com slash pretty much pop. All right, so long, everybody. Goodbye and good binging. See you later, kids. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network. Please visit partiallyexaminedlife.com. And it's also presented by openculture.com. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. You can look us up at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or just grab the Android subscription link or RSS feed link from our website to add it to the podcast app of your choice. Or support the show and get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else. We could really use your support at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. When you support us through Patreon, you'll have access to an RSS feed unique to you. So if you're logged into that page from your phone, you should be able to just click the RSS link, and it'll add the feed to your default podcast app.